Hi everyone, welcome to HubShots episode 203. In this episode, we talk about HubSpot's ABM approach to building new functionality and Google May algorithm update. You're listening to Asia Pacific's number one HubSpot focused podcast, where we discuss HubSpot tips, tricks, and strategies for growing your sales, service, and marketing results. My name is Ian Jacob from Search and Be Found, and with me is Craig Bailey from Zen Systems. How are you, Craig? Well, interesting that you should ask, Ian. Did you see this tweet from David C. Baker? We, we love David C. Baker, friend of the show. We do. Do you listen to his Two Bobs podcast, by the way? I haven't recently, but I have, yes. Oh, I love it. Great advice for agencies. But anyway, he puts on the side of his computer, he puts this list of words he can say instead of using the word interesting. And I know I say this all the time. I overuse the word interesting. Oh, this is interesting. This interesting article. I find this interesting. Well, let's go through some words, Craig. Yeah. Okay. So what what were some of your favorites on this list? Alluring. Delightful. Compelling. Compelling. That's right. Stimulating. That was an interesting one. Yeah. Striking. Thought provoking. Yeah. And unusual finished off that list. But, you know, this is really interesting. Okay, our goal, Ian, is to get get them into the show, try and get as many of those as we can into the show. That's right. Now, Craig, we have got a HubSpot marketing feature of the week, and this is to do with the property recycling bin. Well, here's a delightful feature of HubSpot, and we'll only spend a minute or two on this. I think, well, what could be more boring than a recycle bin for properties? But I think it's really good, and it's just part of their recycle bin strategy throughout the product. It's almost like you can't really make a, a fatal mistake anymore. You can't really delete anything and it's problematic because it goes to a recycle bin and you can restore it. So this was one of their April updates, as we said last episode, too many to cover in last week's show. So we're covering the property recycle bin this week. Now I will just highlight, we've got some screenshots. Let's say in your settings, you're in the properties and a contact property or a company product property or deal, you can delete it, it goes into the recycle bin. I think you've got 90 days to restore it, I noticed that when I did delete it, it still actually popped up in the in the pop-up and said this can't be undone. So they've got to change that. So don't be too terrified by that because now you can restore it. But I have two questions for you, Ian. Let's say you've created a property, a custom property on a contact, then you delete it. Now, say that property had been on a lot of contacts and on those contacts, you'd fill that out. You'd put actually data into those properties. So you delete the custom property. So it goes in the recycle bin, then you restore it. Now, would you expect, okay, the, the, the field will appear again against contacts or companies or whatever. Would you expect the data that was in there previously to be restored as well? Yes. Correct. So you would expect that. And of course, that's what you'd want. <laughs> Imagine if you had thousands of records, <laughs> delete the custom property, and then you restore it and none of the data came back. You'd be like, oh, great. So it saved me the one second or restore the property, but none of the value. So that's restored. Okay. Second question, because this is, this is my life. This is the kind of stuff that I like to play with. Let's say you've set up a customized view with that property in your custom view, say for a contact layout. You delete the property. Okay, it disappears from the custom view. You restore the property. Do you expect it to come back into the custom view or not? Into the custom view, I would say so, yeah. So by default, it doesn't. When you go and refresh the contact, you go, oh, no, it's not there. But if you look at the customized view, it is actually there in the setup. So you just save the view again and ta-da, then it appears back on the actual contact records or company records, etc. So I thought that was impressive. I'm happy with that. Uh, well done, HubSpot, for just having one of these little incremental improvements 
that they roll out in the product. So we've put that in the marketing feature of the week, but that is nowhere near as exciting as our next shot, is it, Ian? No, that's right. And this is the HubSpot sales feature of the week, Craig, and this is to do with account-based marketing. Now, in episode 190, we discussed how HubSpot account-based marketing functionality was rolling out and some of the functionality you might not have seen because there were there were properties and then there was a dashboard to go with it. So one of the things you would see back in 190, we talked about some of those properties and we said how we set them up in the portal so it's visible to the team. Now, what's interesting here is that under contacts, we see a new menu item called target accounts. And this is what we're going after, right? And I got excited when I saw it this week. And just before I went to a sales meeting with one of our customers, and I thought, oh, this is really good. And then I went and it, it essentially showed you kind of like an overview dashboard of your target account. So it said how many target accounts you had, how many accounts with open deals there were, what the value of those open deals and what the average of the open deals were, what was missing, or I should say the contacts that were missing buying roles. So this is another key aspect. So you can target an account, but then within that you have buying roles. And that's one of the inputs that you need to complete to make sure you've got this filled out. And then the other really key aspect was how many decision makers are missing. So really is working on having good data here. And it was really clear to understand and it gave a percentage of what that was. So it gave a number. So in in this example that we had, there was 38, but it was 70% of the accounts that we had targeted that didn't have this. And then on the left-hand side, there's a nice menu, which basically breaks it down as to who those people are from, you know, are they blockers, are they decision makers, etc. And just below that, another great feature was here are the companies we're targeting and how many associated contacts, the number of open deals, the total value of those deals. And then here were the next two things that were really interesting. And I essentially told the sales team, I'm looking at these target accounts and it had the last touch the last engagement and what the next scheduled activity was. And to my surprise, a lot of those hadn't been touched for months. There was no scheduled activity. There was no last engagement. And it really highlighted to me, you know, as much as we were putting data in and I was encouraging them to highlight and target these accounts, they had actually not done any work with those people. So at the last sales meeting, I said, look, you need to, it's a good indication as to are we actually touching these people and are we having conversations? Are we reaching out to the right people? And A, do we know who the right people are in this transaction? And so it was fantastic. Yeah, look, this is just rolling out. And I'll just I'll just mention to listeners, so we're recording this before it's officially rolled out, but it is appearing in some portals. So the beta is there. So it's not as though this is all under NDA or anything. However, there are parts that we're seeing in some of the, the partner release training that may not yet be out by the time you're listening to this. So just be aware there is more stuff coming out. Now, I mentioned that because a bit of context around this. When we initially talked about this back in episode 190, we almost had a bit of a underwhelmed attitude, I would say. It was like, oh, there was a bit of fanfare around all these ABM features. And it was good that they were starting to roll out some, some pieces, some underlying uh, foundation, shall we say. 
This, and that's why we've called the show ABM version two, this is a much stronger rollout. And this is very actionable and useful processes for sales teams. So I really like this. I think it's interesting. It is under the contacts. Oh, I use the word interesting. See, there you go. I, I think it's, what's one of the other words I should use, Ian? I think it's refreshing, shall we say, <laughs> that it's under the contacts menu and they call it target accounts, which are really just target companies. But I think target accounts is much more of an ABM industry term. So that's in keeping with uh, normal terminology. And it is really a key part for the sales team. So it's, in ah, there I go, I was going to say interesting again. So it's something that could have appeared under the sales menu, but they've put it under the contacts menu. And I like the way you laid it out. Um, one of the things that I found in my portal is that we hadn't connected contacts to update companies in terms of owners. So the contact owner to get updated to the company owner. I hadn't got that ticked on in our settings. I've put it on now, but unfortunately it's not retrospective. So when I was looking at our target accounts list, if I chose everyone, I saw the ones I'd chosen, but if I just chose myself, I wasn't seeing those target companies or those target accounts. I was like, why? I know all these contacts. I'm the contact owner, but I wasn't the actual company owner. So a little bit of a thing to watch out for there. But I think this is very strong and there are a whole bunch of other things coming out. This is just the start of what HubSpot's rolling out on the ABM front. So very exciting. And now the next thing that was on that, Craig, on the left-hand menu was the link to the prospects tool. And this is often hidden in analytics and not pe many people look at it. And when I show this to a lot of our customers and I say, hey, look, see who's been on your website or they're going for tenders and, they, and then I go to the, pull up the tool and they go, hang on, we just submitted a tender for that. And they see those people on the site. They're like, wow, this is amazing. So the fact that ABM has come up and they brought prospects there as well is a really interesting thing. And I think it really puts it forefront of sales to really understand who is on the site, what's going on, what the interaction is. Now, in saying that, there is an interesting feature in there that you discovered, didn't you, Greg? Well, uh, two things to mention. Quite often you'll see prospects in there and they're just ISPs. So in Australia you might see Telstra and... Uh, Foxtel. Foxtel and others in there. So you can set one of the filter options, internet service provider, you can set that to false to filter out some of those, but then there'll still be a bunch of others that creep in there. So there's this hide option. So you can choose some of those prospects and just hide them to get them out of your view. And I've been doing that to hide ones that aren't picked up by the other filter. However, the little gotcha is if you hide them, you can never unhide them. So just be mindful of that. Don't accidentally hide a high prospect, <laughs> a high intent prospect or anything like that. And we've put a link through to the community page on HubSpot where someone's saying, why, why can't you do it? And then they've said, oh, if you think this is a problem, why don't you create an idea? You know how they love everything is not too hard, just submit it as an idea, which I guess is fair enough for the team look at that. But anyway, just a gotcha for people. That's right. And that is our gotcha of the week, Craig. Now, onto our HubSpot Extra of the week, Craig. And this is to do with if you have GDPR enabled in your portal. First of all, if you haven't enabled my sympathies, that's right, Craig. And you know what? It just highlighted to me the amount of extra stuff that needs to go on and that happens with customer communication. And I can almost say it's very 
It's another hurdle you've got to jump over. It, it's it's onerous. I understand why it's there. I understand the intent of GDPR and it's good and it's kept big companies in line, but it's the small businesses that often suffer with this additional layer of of legislation that they have to uh, meet. But yes, anyway, you've highlighted a nice little tip here. And this was while we were migrating a customer over in the UK into HubSpot and we were loading in a lot of their customer data. And what you will see often when you're communicating with people within the system is that you've got to have permission, right? Or you've got to have the intent correctly. And what was happening, we loaded it in and then when we tried to run a workflow and send an email or do some email marketing or maybe even put them in a sequence, for example, it said, oh, you don't have any lawful basis to communicate with this person. And then they were like, oh, what do we do here? Because we already have got consent, but HubSpot is not aware of it. So a really simple way to do it was to, on the contact screen, you can go and select the contacts. You can then click the more drop down, and you can add legal basis for processing contact data. And then you can select which category it fits into and then give a reason, and then it'll opt everybody in. Now, if you don't have this turned on, you're not going to see this feature in the more menu. So if you go, oh, I want to go see what this looks like, you ain't going to see it if you don't have it turned on. But this is a way to make sure that you've got the settings correct. This is from HubSpot support when I was talking to them about this plus something else to do with how we're collecting things on forms is to make sure that you have express consent. So basically when you're collecting data on a form, make sure that you can collect that consent expressly. So in future, if laws change and they say, oh, you need to have this consent, then you've got it as opposed to, oh, I'm just going to opt them in because uh, I'm- but, but pretty much if you have GDPR enabled, it's on by default on most forms, I think it adds that. You actually have to take it out deliberately, don't you? Correct. Yes, it does. But there's variations of it, Craig. So there's somewhere you can say that because they're filling in this form, it's expressly saying that they're communicating with us. And then there are other, there's another option where they have to actually tick a checkbox. So, and then there's one with two checkboxes. Right. Yeah. But that's the one I mean. That Doesn't that appear on forms by default if you've got GDPR enabled? Yes, it does. Mm. And, but there are those three options. Right. So that's that. Now, what's our marketing tip of the week, Craig? All right, on to shot six. This is about Google's May algorithm update. They're calling it the core, the May 2020 core update that Google's rolled out. Now, as we know, Google's always testing algorithm updates daily. There's probably multiple changes going out, but at certain times during the year, they roll out big algorithm updates and there's probably a couple each year. One's just rolled out in May. We've got a screenshot from one of our customers. This is a Google Analytics screenshot just showing the marked or the striking impact of that. You can just see it on the actual day. Their traffic basically doubles. The point I wanted to make, and of course they're very happy and don't we look great, and I was telling them we have not done anything. There has been no unusual changes there's been nothing changed. The site architecture, site content's the same, technical SEO, link building, no changes there. This is purely an algorithmic change on Google's behalf. Now, to be fair, they have actually worked hard on their, their site over the last year or two. Great content. It's actually a very good site. But then an algorithm change like this comes along and they uh, benefit markedly from it. And the, the thing that I want to highlight it is like, so that's not 
that's no genius from our point of view. We just followed the the numbers, great content, engaging, etc. But the opposite could happen because imagine if that algorithm changes in another month's time and their traffic halves. Of course, we're going to look terrible. They'll be like, oh, what's happened? Everything suddenly dropped to half and that's a significant impact. So this is the point. We're at the mercy of Google always. And if you ever dear listener, have an agency, an SEO agency, tell you that they can guarantee Google rankings results run from them because they can advise and they can do the best they can as we do with our clients, but there are no guarantees. And Craig, I want to highlight that because just like we are both Google partners and that is one of the first things Google always tells us when we turn up for events is that if anybody says that or they claim that they can get you onto page one and they can guarantee it, then they are not doing the right thing. And, and also there's an education for clients. We've had clients say, look, we want to rank number one for this term. How long will it take? And I'm like, well, I can give you kind of some guidance, but there's no guarantees. And they're like, oh, look, I'll pay. You know, what will it cost to get to number one? I'm like, it just doesn't work that way. So, yeah, it can be some difficult conversations. But I think it's it's important that people are aware of just how lack of control we have over what Google implements. Google Ads, Craig, if you want to pay. Uh, yeah, that's it. Pay to play. <laughs> pay to play on Google Ads. That's right. All right, now we're on to our insight of the week, and this is the McKinsey report on consumer sentiment, Craig. Now, this is something you found and looked pretty comprehensive to me, and it's got some good insights. Yeah, I've been reading a lot about the impact of COVID on things like behaviors. I'm very interested in how it affects behaviors. Yeah. And we've got a whole bunch of articles to, we've actually taken it out of today's show, and we're going to talk about them next week instead because there's so many. Today, I'm just talking about this McKinsey report and they did a consumer sentiment survey at the end of April. It was global, quite a few countries and regions covered. We've got links in the show notes to the details and also their commentary around it. I'm going to highlight two slides from the Australian Insights that caught my attention. So this is just drilling down to consumer sentiment in Australia and they have a quadrant. I'll just explain this quadrant. It's easier if you do look at the screenshots in the show notes, but four quadrants. And it's talking about what has changed during the coronavirus times and then what they expect they'll stick with. So once this is post-COVID, shall we say. So what we're interested in here is one, behavior changes, but two, more importantly, the behavior changes that are going to stick so interestingly, oh, there I've used that word again, strikingly, <laughs> things such as use of video conferencing, sure, that's risen a lot, as everyone would know at the moment, but post-COVID, people are not expecting that. They actually want to go back to their normal ways. So that's something that's not going to stick. Here's some things that are going to stick. I thought this was fascinating. Can you see that first arrow I'm pointing at there, <laughs> Ian? Use of TikTok. <laughs> I'm not kidding you, folks. This is a McKinsey report, okay? And one of their findings is use of TikTok. So I am taking this very seriously. You know, when I think of TikTok, I think of it, there's two buckets. One, it could go down the path of Instagram and become mainstream and get on it early and use it. Or alternatively, it could go down the path of Snapchat and become a bit of a niche thing that didn't really pan out. 
it's going to be fascinating to see which path TikTok does go down. And it seems as though it might be going more down the Instagram path because what we're seeing, the user growth almost equals, is very similar, to equal to the intent to continue. And that shows that something like TikTok's usage, people are, well, there's an addiction piece to it, but they are using it and finding value, whether that's entertainment or just how to waste time, and they continue to use it. The second thing that came out is remote learning. So this is far more understandable. Now, why I'm highlighting this is because remote learning, you might say, well, of course that's increased. Yes, but will it stick? And this is the behavior change. People are getting used to remote learning and they will continue with it. That's what the consumer sentiment is saying. I think this is important for marketers because they would have very quickly, many companies have pivoted to, well, we're going to go to online learning or they call it virtual learning, virtual classrooms and that. But many talk about it as a temporary thing. Oh, it's going to go back and people will go back to in-person training events. This shows that there's a very defined segment that that will not happen. They will stay with online learning. So this is important for marketers for your future longer term planning to keep that in mind. And there was just a third one, which is around wellness in the company. So part of HR policies, wellness is going to become part of corporate culture. So some interesting insights there. Uh, What's your thoughts on that, Ian? I'm surprised with TikTok, Craig, but with the rest, no, I'm not surprised. I think people have taken this time to reevaluate everything that they do from where they work to how they work to how they interact with their family, their friends, and what's important to them. And I think this is what shows in these results. All right, Craig, what's our HubSpot throwback of the week? Or should we say HubShots throwback of the week? HubShots, I'm just going to throw back to episode 190 where we talked about ABM version one. That's the throwback. And a mere 13 episodes later, we've got ABM, account-based marketing version two, in a much stronger and more compelling offering. All right, we've got a resource of the week. Now, we've been talking about site speed a lot, and here's another uh, site called Fast or Slow by WordFence. And uh, if you are probably using WordPress, you would have probably seen this when you logged into WordPress. There's a WordFence plugin, and that's where you might be familiar with it. But this was an interesting site, wasn't it, Craig, to test out site speed? Yeah, yet another one. And I've put two screenshots in the show notes because for the exact same site, which we've done as a test, which is the HubShot site, we get different scores depending on when we run it. This is, the reason for this is because Google's Lighthouse automated testing tool, which this is built on, will do comparisons to how your site compares with others at that point in time. So they kind of uh, do some weighted averages and how you compare to all other sites they're testing at that moment in time. So we've got a screenshot here where we scored 88 and then another one where we've scored 91 due to just the way it responded at that time. So why am I highlighting that? Well, you can be unlucky. And I've had this with some clients where they've run it and got a really low score. And then I've run it myself and like, oh no, it's actually okay. So the point is run multiple tests and on multiple pages on your site. Don't get too fixated on one score, make sure you've got a set of scores to work on. And then you can drill through some of their findings and fix various points. Huge images is always the one that crops up on a lot of client sites. Someone's gone to the homepage, updated the image and uploaded a five meg image and then wondering why the homepage is running a bit slower than usual. So there's some quick wins there you can find. And these tools highlight those kinds of factors. Now, Craig, I just wanted to 
highlight something that you mentioned. Most people, when they run these tests, will put in the URL of the website. So if it's a .com or a .com.au, when you said run this on specific pages, are you actually saying to run it on pages that you're looking at to find the speed or we're talking about this as site-wide average no this is on a page by this is a url by url normally there are other tools which will crawl through your site and do multiple pages this particular one is just a url at a time and so i would say pick the top 10 pages and you can look at analytics to see which are the top 10 that people visit just make sure they're highly performant and then move on to some of the lesser visited pages as well you'll probably find apart from the obvious gotchas such as huge images that people upload if there are slow things, for example, lots of scripts or some site-wide images or site-wide issues, often just fixing that on one page will fix it on the rest of the site anyway. Correct. Now, in terms, I'm going to talk about this part about scripts. I've been doing some work with a customer of ours and they've got a bunch of scripts that are running and I think that is causing some slowdown, not in massive amounts, but it's a good time to evaluate what is running on your site and remove that if it's un- unnecessary because even things like Hotjar, for example, which we've spoken about where you might look at heat maps or you might be doing some recordings to understand some changes that you have made on the site. Once you've done that, it's actually worthwhile you taking that code off if you're not using it because that is adding extra load onto what's being requested and also what's being gathered. So do that. Craig, what's our quote of the week? I love this. This is from John Mueller from Google. He's almost the voice of Google these days. People say, oh, what about this? How does that affect the Google algorithms? And so they ask him. And he had a a question from someone. It's not important what the question was, but he basically said, test it because test results beat Twitter opinions. So our quote of the week is test results beat Twitter opinions. And that's from John Mueller from Google. Thanks, John. Good advice. That's why we tell people, test and measure whatever you do. By the way, check out John's profile. So this is an incredibly influential person on Twitter and Google, and he's got his Google Plus link in his bio. I think he's done it on purpose. It doesn't work, of course, but it's pretty funny. Oh, that's a distant memory, I have to say. Anyway, um, we've got some bonus links of the week, Craig, and this is some stuff that you will obviously not while you're running or driving listening to us but when you get back to your computer it's worth checking it out on the site because there are lots of useful resources that we share every week i'll just give the headline it's how to remove urls from google we'll get clients saying oh we've got this page in the google search results how do we get rid of it shot 11 of the show we walk you through it check that out yeah very important And what I want to say is that why it's important is that in our show notes, we've got a really nice, like a decision-making tree about how you actually get that removed. So have a look at that. All right, listeners, we're at the end of the show and we'd say, we'd love if you would connect with us over LinkedIn. Please send us a note that you are listening to the show and that you're not connecting to sell us stuff. We'd love to hear from you again as we go through this period, as we get out of this period and as things change in the world. Craig and myself are here to help you guys. Please do not be afraid to simply ask. We are happy to jump on a Zoom call with you and have a chat and help you out wherever we can. Can I just say, I just want to apologize in advance because we have been getting a number of requests and sometimes it's taking me a couple of days to respond to people and you've been helping with some of these, Ian. So apologies if we don't respond straight away. We do get them. Thank you. And we will contact you to give your hand. 
Well, Craig, until next week. Catch you later, Ian. Hey there, thanks for listening to this episode of Hubshots. For show notes and the latest HubSpot news and tips, please visit us at hubshots.com.